0: Yeah, they had us the first half. I'm not going to lie. They had us. We weren't defeated, but they had us. But it took guts. It took an attitude. That's all it takes. That's all it takes to be successful is an attitude. And that's what I was talking said, it's the media. They got something to say about what
1: the move wants. Hello and welcome to the Off Court Podcast. We are a podcast that examines the political economic history of sports from a leftist and often a socialist perspective. My name is Aton. I'm Abdul. Um, We're here for part two of our Pat Tillman discussion. Um, We won't start with another um, Francis Fukuyama rant or uh, a dive into the goat throwing sport in Afghanistan, which, by the way, we might do a fucking episode on, as we mentioned in the past uh, episode. We're going to be going into the second half of Pat Tillman's um, enlistment um, uh, or sorry, the second half of Pat Tillman's story, which addresses his enlistment in the army. Um, his experiences in the Iraq War, his eventual uh, deployment into Afghanistan, where he was killed by friendly fire, um, and then the cover or up murdered, of his death.
2: By the way, ba- or murdered, <laughs> based, um, based on your we, view.
1: Yeah, we we're going to discuss that. He um, basically was like the first like "don't fuck with cats" um, phenomenon on the internet, where people were trying to cover like why Pat Tillman was killed so abruptly and why the army was covering it up. You know, maybe they were a bit misdirected to try and specifically just see if it was murder, but yeah, people were, people's intentions were good. We, we go a lot into uh, Pat's background, by the way, and sort of the history of Afghanistan in the previous episode. So if you're going to listen to this episode, it is crucial that you listen to part one. Um, we're basically fucking going through the odyssey of Pat Tillman. Um, somebody needs to make a movie out of this. Um, so yeah, it's at this time. Right after nine eleven, and right after "quote unquote" the U.S. defeats Afghanistan over nine eleven, that uh, the Iraq War happens for some reason. Um, it's in two thousand and two that Pat actually plays his last game with the Cardinals. Uh, it's a twenty to seventeen loss to the Washington football team. That's that was always their name, right? Like, they yeah, were I mean, just...
2: like even back then, that was, uh, <laughs> you know, the the no name brand football team that, uh, <laughs> yeah, that everyone loves and has had you know successful management since the day it started
1: yeah Yeah, the the fucking president's choice football team um through the autumn of 2001 many nfl players begin to express outrage over the attacks uh in new york and washington declare their support for the war in afghanistan make all this noise about how they would kill bin Laden with their own bare hands but literally none of them give up their football careers they all continue to live their cushy lives which doesn't sit well with pat tillman Given the enormity of what happened on 9-11, he felt he should do more than issue empty pronouncements. Shortly after this, Pat and his brother Kevin, who actually had like a small career in minor baseball at the time, began discussing joining the Army. In a computer-type diary entry about his enlistment, which he called Decision, the first of the Decision, Pat explains philosophy and life with lots of detail. Taking my talents to couple. (laughs) (laughs) I'm taking my fucking – yeah, I'm taking my talents to Operation Enduring Freedom. Oh, God. Um, But uh, this this quote from the the diary entry really struck me for our discussion. Uh, Quote, my job is challenging, enjoyable, and strokes my vanity enough to fool me into thinking – it's important so pat wasn't just taking like action because his nfl uh, colleagues were, but summarizing the issue of like standing by while your country goes to war better than any of these like so-called patriots i'm not saying i agree with pat you know i do, i want to hear what you think but like regardless of if you think war is a good thing pat actually showed patriotism more than any of his american counterparts alone like in that diary before even enlisting pat
3: tillman The Arizona Cardinals' safety was known for his fierce tackles.
4: Shoots it over the middle. And what a hit! Pat Tillman knocked the helmet off of
0: Isaac Byrne.
3: Unbridled spirit on the football field.
0: Here we go, baby. Let's go. Okay, I'm just saying, initially we were at six. Rob, stay Rob.
3: And as the unflinching Patriot, who, driven by the events on 9-11, gave up his multi-million dollar career to volunteer for military duty and died in Afghanistan.
5: Yet as much as Pat Tillman loved competing on the football field he loved America even more.
2: Yeah, and I mean like, you know, I you and I both like hate the idea of like blind patriotism, but I think contextually understanding like his upbringing, the you know, sociocultural world he grew up in, uh basically all the stuff that uh sort of marked American propaganda at the time and also just the nature of America, you know, pervasively to this day. I mean, I I don't agree with those (laughs) reasons. I think they're very bad. But like, it's hard to roast someone for doing that when it's all they've ever known. It is important to organize against it and to sort of articulate and educate those people as to why perhaps, uh, you know, getting into a war and joining the army and uh, engaging in imperialism is a bad idea but like i always found it very different between military guys and cops like i found that to be very very interesting very different because a a police officer for example like I, i have no sympathy for fuck them right like they they chose that choice because they wanted to exert level of control over others Whereas, because like, they
1: failed all their classes in high school, but that's besides the point.
2: Yeah, exactly, right? Whereas with the military, it's like, you know, you're taught to serve your country from a, from a young age, and there's no sort of way to serve your country that's articulated more intensely than through the military apparatus. Like, it is a, a grand um, international sort of approach to like american exceptionalism and like you know we're making the world a better place because america right
1: shortly after this pat declines a 3.6 million dollar extension from the cardinals um this was the largest contract extension they had given him at the time because they were basically fucking i don't know it it, kind of like just looking back at pat and the kind of person he was i could see how throughout his life like maybe like you know places of authority were even taking advantage of pat because like the cardinals could have offered him more than five hundred thousand dollars to combat those eight million dollar contracts that like the rams are offering him but no they knew pat would just re-sign with them kevin garnett style right so yeah, i don't know it's just depressing sort of and and just to your point too about pat about like thinking about imperialism when you're looking at like the iraq war specifically the the tragic part is that pat is going to bring this up as we go through this uh part of the episode um A little bit too late, too, as we will see throughout Pat's life. When his coach at the time tried to discuss strategies for announcing Pat's decisions to enlist in the Army, this is the coach of the Arizona Cardinals, he had asked Pat how he was going to handle the overwhelming interest from the news media that would inevitably flow. Pat simply replied, I'm not. He explained that his decision to enlist spoke for itself, and that he, at that point, would never do media interviews of any kind, and he stuck to that. From that point forward, Pat Tillman did not do a single interview or a single announcement of his en- enlistment. Now,
2: this is, this is sort of crucial, when looking at the legacy of Pat Tillman, because in a lot of ways, Pat Tillman is like a blank slate upon which many people have thrust their politics on. A yep. big part of this comes from the fact that there's very few interviews. Well, there's no interviews or material that articulates him as a human being. Part of the dehumanizing effect of hero worship, both in athletics and in politics, uh, and in like the wider frame of you know the creation of heroes, is just you know again forcing whatever narrative you want onto them. Of which Pat Tillman is probably uh, the most notable victim of.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean it, it becomes almost disgusting. Um, and and Pat like. I'm just excited to get to this. I can't get to it yet cuz we're going a little bit through the background of his Iraq war, but Pat literally predicts what's going to happen to him in this like almost scary way. But so yeah, it's it's noted at this point that Pat and Kevin when they got to their first army base are basically disgusted by the 18-year-olds that they have to train with. Um, They describe them as whiny little boys who had just been kicked out of their parents' home. Sort of like, again, like not aptly pointing out, but maybe discovering later, like why that is the case. Like it does have something, why America sends so many inexperienced children to war does have a lot to do with America's economy. And often also with the marginalization of like black and other poor races that live in America. Pat, you know, doesn't get into that but it's just a an interesting point i want to bring up
2: oh yeah um, i remember i actually remember this section from the book specifically where, where pat was really disappointed when he went to training camp when he went to boot camp and saw that like people there were talking about like murdering arabs and like were so excited to do it was like very off-put and alarmed and that like by the attitudes he, he saw like he These people weren't doing it for reasons of like patriotism or like as a job, they were actually going like excited to murder people, which like also, by the way, like Pat Tillman grew up in a pretty sheltered home on the West Coast. Like he had never been exposed to this uh, in a meaningful way up until this point.
1: Yeah. And I mean, hilariously, like Pat is used as a poster boy for that fake ideal in a sense later on. Oh, yeah. It's even, like, worse. Like, he he basically, uh, around the time that he he is quoting, like, this disgust with the obsession of some of these children with wanting to basically only just go ahead and kill Arabs is that he wouldn't trust them with his fucking canteen and battle. (laughs)
2: Uh,
1: So... It's yeah, he he yeah, even as he tried to keep his low uh, a low profile with his enlistment and refuses all interviews, this this the second half is a lot more tragic in terms of what we're going to be discussing. Um the Bush administration actually already decided to turn the enlistment of Pat Tillman into a marketing bonanza for the so-called global war on terror. On June 28th, Donald Rumsfeld wrote a personal note directly to Pat, declaring, it is a proud and patriotic thing you are doing. Um, And other army faction leaders were just sending Tillman letters. Shortly after that time, Pat and Kevin were being trained with live ammunition for the first time. Just before it was Kevin's turn to fire a gun, a recruit opened the weapons feed tray while a round was still in the chamber, inadvertently released the bolt, and the cartridge exploded. The blast peppered the kid's face, neck, and chest with brass sharpener, burned him badly, and yeah, the kid was basically taken out of the army. He could have easily been killed, and Pat observed in his diary at the time, you forget. Or don't think about just how incredibly dangerous these weapons are until something like this takes place. It's at this time that Pat was preparing to leave the new recruits for airborne training. He wrote that he hoped to finally meet the elite soldiers who understood his and his brother's true altruism in joining the army. And something that these snot-nosed, like, artistic kids had just spent months with he wouldn't understand, once Pat and Kevin were in the army, they assumed, like many Americans, that they would not only be fighting bin Laden in Afghanistan based on Bush's campaign of, uh, quote, humble foreign policy, something that fucking Trump did better than Bush. They also assumed no secret plan to invade Iraq for oil.
2: Curb your enthusiasm, music plays.
1: Yeah, exactly. Dung, dung, dung. And then Donald Rumsfeld fucking writing down his little idea. Um, who, uh, and yeah, Pat, Donald literally just called Pat a little bit ago as he's fucking coming up with this evil plan on february 5th 2003 secretary of state colin powell went before the united nations to make the president's argument for invading iraq presenting satellite photos and other quote-unquote evidence in a powerpoint presentation that persuasively and but erroneously indicated saddam possessed weapons of mass destruction and was conspiring with al-qaeda to carry out more terrorist attacks shortly after the iraq war became imminent to the american public pat wrote the following in his journal maybe very soon That Kevin and I will be called upon to take part in something that I see no clear purpose for. Were our case for war even somewhat justifiable, no doubt many of our traditional allies would be praising our initiative. However, every leader in the world, with a few exceptions, is crying foul, as is the voice of much of the people. This leads me to believe that we have little to no justification other than our imperial whim. My hope is that decisions are being made with the same good faith Kevin and I aim to display. I hope this war is about more than oil, money, and power, but I doubt that it is. Like, would you ever expect a macho football player to acknowledge that? And, like, this one actually enlisted in the fucking <laughs> army to acknowledge that?
2: It is It is sort of sad, right? Like, you know, it's, it's understandable to to look at the harm caused by soldiers, period. At the same time, I I do appreciate Tillman's like ability to take the long view of it. And I also do think like, you know, we we tend to forget how difficult it is to leave the army once you join. Like it is it is a nightmarish process that is deliberately made as as difficult as possible.
1: Uh yeah, I mean the words honorable discharge alone just explain how like there you to leave the army there has to be some kind of positive and like work accomplished context to it that otherwise is not honorable it's frowned upon greatly and awards are like dismissed based on this so that alone and the fact that as we will see pat is awarded after his death uh a uh the silver medal of honor is just yeah our army politics are just fucked as we're going to go through. It's actually around this time too, just to go on a quick uh, tangent that um, Pat is listening to an army radio communicating about a fight that he wasn't deployed for. And it was announced that his friend from a base had been badly wounded in that battle. Pat wrote of his wounded teammate when the news of the casualties arrived, quote, he was actually born in Mexico and came forth with with his family as a boy. Not exactly the story some folks think of when they bitch about all those, quote, foreigners coming over. Bravo Manuel. You not only do your family and friends and fellow soldiers proud, you symbolize the men uh this country was built by. So he's like yeah, patriotic woke king before anybody and like the right even tries to be like this woke about like patriotism. Like he he is kind of like the poster boy for like neoconservatism in a, in a in a sense, but he doesn't even know it at the time and conservatives at the time don't even understand how they can develop their politics into the 21st century to be a bit more, you know, applicable to, like, a society that wants socialism and diversity and whatnot, you know?
2: And it's also, like, I think again like transformation is a process uh you know like like compare from where he started to where he is even at this point right it's super it is super interesting it's uh, it's like very like thank goodness he kept a diary you know that sort of tracks it and stuff like that because there's a lot sort of within there that sort of demonstrates the way people change over time right transformation is not an immediate process and i think like that's probably my biggest way takeaway from pat Tillman he represents something that pretty much any person can come to, given the right education circumstances and, you know, relationship to the world. Like, no one is beyond uh, is beyond salvaging except for cops. Uh, He's
3: become a symbol of all those American soldiers who have sacrificed their lives in Iraq and Afghanistan. But now, these letters to his wife Marie and his personal journal, seen publicly here for the first time, reveal that in the year leading to his death... He'd come to have serious doubts about the way America was fighting its war on terror.
5: My life at this point is relatively easy. My job is challenging, enjoyable, and strokes my vanity enough to fool me into thinking it's important.
3: Tillman's wife turned the journals over to John Krakauer, the best-selling author, who has written a book piecing together Tillman's
5: tragic story. Who does this? Who takes a perfectly perfect life and ruins it? a perfectly happy wife in marriage, and jeopardizes it. Ah, if I do not strangle someone while I'm here, I was touched by an angel. I'll go over this a bit quickly,
1: but it's important that we introduce Jim Wilkinson to the story. So before I really introduce him, Pat and Kevin were finally sent out on their first mission on March 31st. As part as a, of an immense contingent of Marines, Rangers, Green Berets, Delta Force operators, SEALs, and Air Force par- par- parachute jumpers dispatched to rescue a 19-year-old soldier reportedly being held prisoner by Iraqi fighters at a hospital in a city called Nasiriyah, Prisoner's name was Jessica Dawn Lynch. While traveling north in the country, Private Lynch was in a convoy led by a sleep-deprived officer who missed several crucial turns on his assigned route. The convoy was actually made up of cafeteria workers and dis- desk jockeys, and their sleep-deprived convoy leader just led them into this town unknowingly, which is a military town of 500,000 residents, including three reg- regiments of the Iraqi army. The heavily armed citizens of Nasiriyah had been nervously expecting the Americans to invade their cities. Tanks, artillery, and squads of fighters were positioned in strategic locations around the area because of this possibility of attack. But none of the anxious locals anticipated that the invading force would simply move a lightly armed convoy of transport trucks driven by men and women who appeared to be utterly unaware of the Iraqi forces amassed around them. The Iraqis were so astonished by the Americans' cluelessness that they held their fire and merely stared in disbelief. A few blocks after crossing the river into the town, as the convoy entered the urban core of the town, it passed an Iraqi military checkpoint manned by armed soldiers who smiled and waved at the Americans as they drove by. Lynch's convoy continued to roll north through the city, unmolested for another three miles. Um, It's only after this that the convoy commander stops to look at his GPS whereupon he realizes that they'd made a seriously wrong turn an hour earlier. Soon after that, the Americans reverse course right through the town again. Uh, The Iraqis overcome the paralysis and begin to shooting at the convoy again. Most of the convoy was captured or shot while Lynch's group in their Humvee had survived momentarily. Uh, They were eventually taken prisoner. As word got of her capture to American bases, the plan to save her was being devised. The Tillmans, although not directly involved, were stationed just out Just outside of the city, successful operation dominated the news for weeks, including official recounts of her brave fight to her near death against the Iraqis who captured her. Jessica was established basically... As the first war hero of the war, the details of the incident did provide like a riveting story. What was being reported anyways was that a petite blonde supply clerk from a flea-spec brug in West Virginia was ambushed in Iraq and fearlessly mowed down masked terrorists with her M-16 until she ran out of ammo, whereupon she is shot, stabbed, captured, and tortured and raped before finally being snatched from the barbaric Iraqi captors during a daring raid by American commandos. But... In reality, Lynch's ordeal was extremely embellished. Much of the rest was invented uh, um, from basically nothing. Her rifle during the battle was actually jammed. She hadn't fired a single shot. Although her injury, her injuries had been like pretty bad and life-threatening, they were exclusively the result of the Humvee smashing into another American trailer in the city. Uh, She was never shot. She was never stabbed. She was never tortured or raped. Um, After she'd been transferred to Saddam Hussein General Hospital, her captors actually treated her with kindness and special care. And when the American commandos arrived at the hospital to rescue Lynch, they were met with uh, no significant resistance. And this is where Jim Wilkinson enters the story. Mr. Wilkinson first left his mark on the 2000 presidential race in March, 1999, where he helped package and promote the notion that Al Gore claimed to have, quote, invented the internet then the texan popped up to miami to defend republican protesters shutting down a recount for his troubles mr wilkinson was made deputy director of communications for planning in the bush white house the story of of lynch was basically being devised by jim wilkinson who served as the bush administration's top quote-unquote perception manager for the iraqi war of course which is an unofficial yeah an unofficial title he received for his actual duties as deputy director of communication which is funny because there are a lot of breakdowns of communications in these friendly fires. And situations. also just
2: saying the quiet part loud like yeah perception manager like, of the iraq war like it's very telling
1: he, he was like the marketing coordinator for the war essentially when you really think about it. it was just before this that dick cheney claimed american soldiers would be welcomed by iraqis for liberating them and that iraq was only a few months uh, away from being liberated it's around this time that the jessica lynch operation is being complete pat Apley writes in his journal the mission will be a pow rescue a woman named jessica lynch as awful as i feel for the fear she must face and admire the courage i'm sure she is showing I do believe this to be a big public relations stunt. Do not mistake me. I wish everyone in trouble to be rescued, but sending this many folks in for a single low-ranking soldier screams of media blitz. In any case, I'm glad to be able to do my part and I hope we bring her home safe. Uh, by the way, at least seven other American servicemen uh, and service women were being held captive at the time in Iraq, including five other soldiers from Lynch's convoy, yet like nothing was done to find and rescue these less marketable prisoners of war. Congressman Henry Waxman later alleged that Wilkinson delayed the mission to allow a special operations video crew to shoot the rescue for news media. Um, Yeah, just more fucking yikes. Um, As they were preparing to leave Iraq back home for America, Pat and his brother would openly criticize Operation Iraqi Freedom. Something extremely uncommon in the military or even in America at the time, since like still Americans generally supported the war at the time. Upon his return to America, Pat was under the stress of potentially going back to Iraq, as he was committed still to the army until 2005, but it's at this point that he gets an opportunity to leave the army and return to the NFL when the Seahawks and other a few competitive teams reach out to his agent, and his agent finds out that these are reasons for dishonorable discharge. But Pat refuses all the offers, saying that he would never break his commitment to the army, regardless of how much pain it had caused him and Mary up until that point. Um, like Pat well, was just was not that kind of guy. Yeah,
2: like he was. Yeah. He he. I think the one thing you can say about him is. And, like, I'm not going to diagnose him, but he almost has, like, a a single-minded, like, almost spectrum-level relationship to, like, just yes. picking something and deciding to do it. Like, he was intensely committed to whatever he put his mind to, even if it was detrimental to himself, right? And you see this reflected in his relationship to the Arizona Cardinals, You know, where he he turned down all this money to like sign on. I find it interesting that Pat Tillman was a cat guy because dogs are, you know, significantly more loyal as pets. Like they are right. more similar to Pat Tillman. Like, like Pat, you know, Pat was like,
1: acknowledging the determinism of cats in a sense, right?
2: Yeah, like like cats. Cats will eat you if you die, and I love cats. You know, I have two cats. But like, cats will eat you once you die. Your dog will sit there and starve until it dies. That's sort of the the. I find it interesting that Pat, like, it, you know, cats exhibit all the qualities that Pat does not. Yeah, you know I mean, like
1: after hearing what he literally wrote in his in his uh, diary, basically like summarizing and theorizing what would happen to him in death is what makes the story so fucking tragic
2: yeah i just i find it fascinating like him as a psychological figure you know i mean like his relationship to to the military or you know the cardinals like he is very institutionalized and it comes out in his diary as well which i'm sure you'll get to where it's like even if he acknowledges I think this is actually true of the military uh, as a whole, right? Even if you acknowledge what the military is doing is wrong, it's also very hard to escape for both material reasons, but also psychological reasons. Not dissimilar to sports, by the way.
1: Exactly. Yeah, like Pat was basically planning to return to the NFL the moment his contract with the Army was up, but until then, he was not even going to entertain the thought, regardless of... What he saw going on in Iraq, and although Pat was disillusioned with the army at the time, he was ready to go to Afghanistan once that possibility became a reality around 2004, and believing in the virtue of that invasion more than Iraq, because that's what he had enlisted at the time, so... There was much less news coming out of Afghanistan than Iraq. By 2004, Americans didn't even realize that the country was still fighting a war there. So returning to the NFL wasn't the only thing on Pat's agenda. Again, he was so altruistic about his enlistment. He was also looking forward to having a meeting with Noam Chomsky who an old college friend of his had discussed working with and said that he could arrange a meeting with Chomsky. Chomsky was a strident critic of the Bush administration and its global war on terror. And although Tillman certainly didn't agree with all of Chomsky's views, he concurred with many of them. For example, when Chomsky opinioned in a radio interview, Quote, if the American population had the slightest idea of what was being done in their name, they would be utterly appalled. End quote. It was perfectly aligned with Tillman's own sense of outrage over what he had witnessed in Iraq. Pat admired both Chomsky's intellectual courage and a straightforward and unembellished turn of phrase. This meeting almost happened when Chomsky told Tillman's friend that he was basically going to do it. But then Tillman was deployed to Afghanistan. That is the fucking TED talk that we all were fucking cheated out of big time.
2: Oh, fuck. Yeah. I mean, like that. And that to me is such an interesting, interesting thing too. Pat Tillman. I'm sure you get to this. He he declared near the end of his life. The U.S. war was fucking illegal right yes. like explicitly in those terms and stuff like that it's like you know yeah like he's he's educating himself through this he's going through a political education that many of us grow up in similarly privileged circumstances go through much earlier yeah. right reading howards Zinn, reading Noam chomsky you know what's that what's that song oh fuck um franco an american <laughs> Do you yeah, remember yeah, this yeah. that fucking yes bush era anthem what uh fat mike oh. You know what i mean <laughs> But yeah, like he was basically going through that process of political education just at a, at a significantly different time than the rest of us undergo it in the worst possible situations.
1: Literally, because it's at this point that Pat goes to Afghanistan to die a tragic death. The Americans' preoccupation with Iraq... Basically, enabled the Taliban and Al Qaeda to quietly rebuild their forces and they reestablished control over Afghanistan, something that the Americans said was over with. Um, not long after, Operation Mountain Storm was announced to combat the Taliban in Afghanistan. Um, up until that point, Iraq had been given a much higher priority by Defense Secretary Rumsfeld, resulting in a severe and chronic shortage of helicopters throughout Afghanistan. Something that basically leads to Tillman's death. While in Afghanistan, Tillman's group was out on patrol when a Humvee of theirs was wrecked on the road due to an accident. When they were told that no helicopters were available to tow the Humvee, someone in the platoon suggests that they simply pull the 50 caliber machine gun from the Humvee's turret, yank its radios, blow the damn thing up with C4 explosives so the Taliban couldn't salvage it, and abandoned the wreckage. A commander of the battalion, the commander of I apologize if I am mispronouncing that, uh, was leading the battalion. Something like that couldn't just be done without higher approval from commanders, where rank is extremely important. So he calls in, and when he's ordered to take half of his platoon through the mountains to get to FOB, while the other half tows the Humvee to a nearby town, he strongly objects to the dangers of the commands over email. Um, do you think it was one of those, like, I hope this finds you well back and forths, like, <laughs> like regards <laughs> and everything until, until they made this decision. Also fun fact, George Bush was sworn when he was sworn in as president in 2001. Uh, this commander was actually the guy chosen to lead the army's procession down Pennsylvania Avenue in the inaugural parade. So it's at this point that the commander's Rangers had to travel through a rough mounted terrain, not meant for vehicles or tanks. The other envoy that they were meeting up with could be seen in the distance and Engaging heavily with enemies. They can tell this by the red bullet streaks that are unique to American bullets meant for adjusting one's shot in the dark. This is when the commander's envoy uh, splits up to get closer to the scene. Splitting up the squad led to less people than needed in some of the groups. One of those was a team that included Pat Tailman, who was assigned together with Private O'Neill, a baby-faced 18-year-old who was the youngest, greenest member of the entire unit, and Farhad, an Afghan soldier who would later be misidentified in the in the aftermath, um, Tillman actually decided. Yeah, of course. I mean, we we only erase the people who aren't going to serve the industrial military complex. Uh, Tillman decides then to volunteer when the units were split up initially, since his brother was potentially in the unit that was being attacked. Tillman O'Neill and the 27 year old Afghan soldier were waiting together for his brother's unit, expecting it to emerge from the mountain gorge. At that time, several Rangers climb out of a Humvee and gaze up towards Tillman and O'Neill, who were waving to let their buddies know that they were up there and had them covered. It appeared as though the other unit had escaped the ambush and everything was copacetic, but it is then that without warning, hundreds of bullets began to pulverize the slope around Tillman, O'Neill, and Farhad. My great-grandfather
0: was at Pearl Harbor, and a lot of my family has given up, you know, has gone and fought in wars, and, and I really haven't done a damn thing. Um, as far as laying myself in the line like that.
4: Tillman fought in the initial invasion of Operation Iraqi Freedom in 2003. He was later redeployed to Afghanistan. On April 22, 2004, the 27-year-old was on patrol just outside the village of Spira, near the Pakistani border. At the time, military officials said he was killed by insurgents during an ambush. Tillman's family was told he'd charged up a hill, forcing the enemy to withdraw, saving the lives of his fellow rangers, before he was fatally shot
1: in a sworn statement the soldier who shot pat explained that while shooting a 10 round burst from his machine gun at the hillside where tillman and o'neill were positioned he identified quote two sets of arms waving straight up which he saw through the scope of his weapon uh quote i saw the arms waving but i didn't think they were trying to signal a ceasefire so i pulled the trigger and i shot them with another 10 round burst Puzzled by the implication of the statement, a special agent from the Army Criminal Investigation Division later inquired with the soldier, Why would you fire on two sets of arms if they were straight up in the air? This was a third world country, the soldier replied, and they don't have hand and arm signals like we do. It was my perception they were trying to signal to an enemy. Yeah, which is like that. that, uh, That statement alone from the book, they say, inspired the internet sleuth to figure out if, like, This soldier intentionally killed Tillman also because like all the bullets were perfectly rounded around his chest and bullet, meaning that he had a good shot on Tillman. There was also
2: uh, information came to light afterwards that this guy and Tillman did not have a good relationship. His Tillman's last words were apparently shut up and stop sniveling.
1: Yeah, because this this soldier was one of the smallest soldiers on on the camp. And actually, I think from what I read in the book, like would usually get bullied. Tillman would often protect him. Him, but it got to a point where tillman started also bullying him because this guy was such a pussy <laughs>
2: <laughs> from, from our,
1: yeah um o'neill so the guy who ha- was right beside tillman but survived the friendly fire later testified that he actually tossed his rifle aside quote i thought maybe if i threw my weapon down they would stop firing at us but then the shooting didn't stop so o'neill flings himself onto the ground and curls into a fetal position Quote, I began to pray out loud, and I was sure I was going to die. And at that point, Pat asked me why I was praying. He was wondering what it could do for him, which is like, just wow, his agnosticism. Like, as somebody who likes to say that he's fucking an atheist, I feel like I'm going to become agnostic if I'm in that position and I'm going to start praying to God. So. Just amazing how true to his ideals were. Just to end also on Pat's uh, death, soldiers that were much farther away from Tillman's position would later testify they could clearly see the squad was shooting at friendlies from very far away. Another soldier citing that the squad was clearly trigger-happy since he could see the soldiers' tiger-striped suits was waving at them at farther positions and they were ignoring him. The soldier that killed Tillman later testified that he thought the Afghan soldier, who was identified mistakenly with a different name, was wearing American armor to quote-unquote deceive him. He thought he was an enemy fighter wearing clothes to fool him, even though the Afghan Farhad was actually a staple of this unit and was spending a lot of time with them for months before this. The firefight lasted for about 14 minutes. Many of the soldiers at that point were death from the gunshots. It took a few moments for them to start hearing the ceasefire yells or the oh my fucking god that were being shouted by O'Neill, who was beside pat's pulverized mutilated body the soldier who told kevin about pat's death back at the camp actually ended up getting in trouble for ke- telling kevin too soon at that point even though Kelvin was being told that pat was killed in action so the lies were already beginning at that point helicopters finally made it to their camp to collect the bodies of those killed in the incident a soldier citing that it was a stark reminder that if a helicopter was available to them during the incident pat and Farhad would still be alive.
2: Pat's atheism was a huge point of contention as well. He was definitely, like, bugging out his platoon, his fellow soldiers, with his, like, intense devotion to atheism. And, I mean, Pat was Pat. He was also quite outspoken about his beliefs, no matter what they were. So there's (laughs) definitely, like, a...
1: Imagine basically having, like, a Sam Harris type in your battalion that's constantly, like, trying to, like, bug you about the fact that god isn't real I, I i mean not a sam harris type because he doesn't hate arabs as much as sam harris but you know what i'm trying to say
2: yeah absolutely like we can definitely get into some of the ways the nfl like memorialized him and how that led yes. to yeah a whole bunch of other stuff
4: at his funeral tillman was awarded a silver star which was approved by lieutenant general stanley McChrystal. McChrystal signed the report that said tillman was killed by enemy fire this, even as accounts and evidence surfaced, showing he was actually killed by friendly fire. About a month after his death, the Army announced Tillman was killed, accidentally, by his own men.
0: Tell the truth and but Tillman's
4: truth. parents sharply criticized the Army's handling of the incident. They were convinced officials covered up the truth because he'd become one of the most high-profile soldiers in the U.S. military, and because of the negative effect it could have on recruiting. Pat
5: Tillman loved the game of football. He loved America even
4: more. The Tillman Story, a documentary being released this Friday, chronicles Mary Tillman's, Pat's mother's, crusade to uncover the truth behind her son's death.
1: These days, we are completely bombarded with video content, whether it's a series, movies, or documentaries about, I don't know, Carol Baskin and the Tiger King. That's the best documentary there is, right, guys? Screenworthy tries to cut through all this noise and talk about what it all means from a cultural standpoint how it affects the future of filmmaking hosts kyle badanis and the smart alecky mine refinery creative team talk to content creators and filmmakers about the state of the industry while diving deep into noteworthy projects that arrive on your screen Screenworthy drops every other tuesday on the mine refinery podcast channel wherever you get your podcasts so now we get into the aftermath of this mary and the tillman family were informed by visiting soldiers of pat's death which was simply described as he was shot in the head and killed in an ambush. The same was being told to Kevin on base where he was wondering where his brother Pat was. Army investigators on the scene actually immediately ruled the strong possibility of friendly fire. The choice of who would investigate was strange to begin with. It was actually a low-profile officer, which was already irregular because in these kinds of investigations, usually high-ranking officers are chosen so that Officers below them could be implicated, but in this situation, a low-ranking officer was used almost specifically so he couldn't implicate his higher-up. The uh, officer that did the report described that friendly fire was most likely the result, and this news made its way up the chain of command to General Stanley McChrystal, who was basically the higher-up of this entire battalion. 2009, General McChrystal would actually be thrust into the limelight as the four-star general chosen by President Barack Obama to command all U.S. and NATO forces in Afghanistan. At the time Tillman was killed, however, McChrystal was only a one-star general, and little was known about him outside of the operations community. McChrystal sent the information to a higher-up, but demanded it be kept under wraps until fully confirmed. Mary Tillman, as next of kin, was supposed to be notified that an investigation was underway, even if friendly fire is suspected, and, quote, be kept informed as additional information about the cause of death become unknown. But instead, McChrystal and the soldiers under his command went to extraordinary lengths to prevent the Tillman family from learning the truth. This is an example of one of those lengths. Standard operating procedure dictates that when a soldier is killed in action, his or her uniform is left on the body for shipment back to the United States to be removed during the autopsy and analyzed for forensic evidence for reasons that have never been explained, for reasons that have never been explained. Tillman's blood-soaked uniform and body were removed back at the base that they were at placed into a trash bag before the body was flown out. On that night, April 23rd, a sergeant testified that another captain came to him with an orange plastic bag containing Tillman's clothes. He then asked him to burn the bag and make sure that none was left for, quote, security purposes. Another doctor, doctor who actually performed the autopsy on Tillman, would later testify that he was baffled by the fact that the body was naked when it arrived. The same doctor was also lied to that Tillman was shot by the Taliban in not friendly fire. The doctor actually ended up refusing to sign off on the autopsy when asked by the Army Criminal Investigation to look into the matter. When the CID, um, which is the Army Criminal Investigation Division, inquired with McChrystal and his superior, General Nixon, they straight up lied to investigators. Um, Eventually, Pat was cremated, and a public memorial service was scheduled at the time.
2: Now, a couple of things here. So Pat Tillman was killed, and it was a cover-up, right? He was killed by friendly fire. And, you know, we get into this, too. Like, it took years for this to come out. It was part of, like, enormous cover-up. There was specious evidence. There was lots of perjury (laughs) involved. I think even Pat Tillman's brother was pulled aside by a surgeon who told him privately that your brother was actually killed by friendly fire.
1: Yeah. From what I, I, I'm seeing in my notes here. Yeah. It was like just in passing, he felt guilty at the time and, and it was boiling up like that battalion that Kevin was still with was t- essentially talking behind his back that like, what's going to happen when we're all drunk and we accidentally tell this to Kevin. So yeah, like his his own fellow soldiers were having to lie to him. And and, and this uh, General McChrystal, I have to say, does award Pat with the silver medal. He signs off on this, but actually warns President Bush uh, before President Bush plans to eulogize Tillman at the annual White House correspondence dinner, that the actual cause of Tillman's death might have been withheld from the speechwriters. And then later McChrystal would use that as evidence that he never meant to cover up the, the death, that he always like knew that it might be this, even though he was clearly covering it up. Like, why was this silver medal even awarded at the time? And then because of all this like covering up, the news at the time was also not reporting the Pat Tillman death as friendly fire. like Essentially, the press release of the silver medal didn't report anything about friendly fire, so the nation was thereby kept in the dark about the friendly fire. The administration that had tried to make Tillman an inspirational emblem for the global war on terror when he was alive had to rebuff those efforts by refusing to do any media interviews. If there had been any way to prevent the White House from exploiting his death, Tillman would have done that too. A soldier stationed with Tillman recalls him literally thinking about this possibility. Quote, when we were in Baghdad, our cots were next to each other. Lane remembers, Pat and I used to talk at night before we'd rack out. I don't know how the conversation got brought up, but one night he said that he was afraid that if something were to happen to him, Bush's people would likely make a big deal out of his death and parade him through the streets. And those were his exact words. Quote, I don't want them to parade me through the streets. That was burned into my brain, him just saying that. Uh, so those who took Wilkinson's place later in the communication department that was responsible for the propaganda about Tillman's enlistment made no, like, they, they took no time in concocting a narrative about Tillman that they hoped would distract the American public in some way. But then, yeah, as these hearings were coming out and as the actual facts about the death of Pat Tillman's were coming out, this just failed utterly. It was shortly after Pat's highly publicized memorial where soldiers lied to the Tillman family face-to-face about the death of Pat that the final report of the investigation concluded that included the following lines, quote, leadership played a critical role and greatly contributed to the fratricide incident that killed SBC Pat Tillman and, quote, gross negligence was a factor in Tillman's death and headquarters should further investigate to determine whether there was mystery to the death. Yeah.
2: So, like, the NFL recently got backlash for, its, um, for a 2020 ad where they, they had, like, a tribute to Pat Tillman in it. In, like, a, a hype ad to, like, celebrate, you know, the importance of football where, like, a, a young black kid runs past the Pat Tillman statue that they've oh put God. up at Arizona State University. It's like a kid running with a football through his life, like growing up as as he becomes like a pro football player. Oh yeah. Or I
1: do remember that ad. in at that time I didn't know who Pat Tillman was, so it just fucking washed over me.
2: Yeah, and it was one of those things with where this where like you know, the legacy of Pat Tillman is, you know, arguably the most interesting thing about him because Yeah, like the NFL is still using his image to promote, you know, the the platonic ideal of what a football player should be, right? Despite the fact that he's not Tom Brady, he's Mm -hmm. not any, you know, football player. For some reason, my brain just cleansed itself of every football player, every famous football (laughs) player I know.
1: I mean, we just spent two and a half hours discussing, like, the Afghanistan war and history more than the NFL, so we apologize to everybody. Our sports brains are in the off-court A lot of these characters in NFL are almost valorized to the same degree as Pat Tillman, never having like fought in a war or done anything political, you know?
2: And the NFL has arguably pushed uh, the legend of Pat Tillman further than anyone else, right? This is like where, you know, entertain me in a conspiracy theory here. The NFL is arguably one of the most vital apparatuses used to, by like close relationship with the U.S. military, used to push u.s propaganda lines and recruit people like yes. that's one of the things that that's one of the things that makes the nfl so sinister aside from the way it treats players it's like it's a perfect microcosm of liberal american values to what you'd call like a deep degree and and the capacity of the u.s state to co-opt and manufacture consent to such a huge degree
1: i mean they were literally they were literally projecting like Operation Iraqi Freedom announcements during NFL games and delaying them. Like, what else is an example of manufacturing consent, you know? 2018 marks the first time that Marie Tillman
0: has been to the new Tillman Tunnel, a place built to capture the spirit of her late husband.
6: You know, I think it's it's that passion, right, that um, he couldn't contain. And so being able to rally people around that and get people excited um, was definitely a talent that he had.
0: Pat's legacy lives on in the tunnel and with the Pat Tillman Foundation. It's a legacy of teamwork.
6: I mean, it's been pretty incredible when I think back to When we started and you know, all these volunteers coming together to put together what was a memorial run, um, you know, of about a thousand people and then fast forward to where we are today, selling out, you know, two years in a row with 35,000. He was a great example of really living life to the fullest and being passionate about what you're doing. And I feel like that has um, continued to play out in my life, you know, sort of like grabbing onto life with both hands.
0: It's a message that Marie tries to harness every day is she balances a new family, raising five kids and a new chapter.
6: You know, I definitely have a full schedule, which is great. And um, I feel like my life has been on you know such a journey, but a huge part of me having kids um, sparked the idea for a business that I started a few years ago called Macadneas. Some
0: days do you need like a tunnel speech? Oh my
6: gosh, yes, <laughs> most days, right?
0: And it's fitting that the start of Pat's run feels like the Sun Devils walking out the tunnel. You kind of have a giant Tillman
6: tunnel right before the races, right? I know the start of the race is actually my favorite part of the day. Um, just sort of the anticipation and everybody really excited to, you know, for that buzzer to go off, so. And for Marie,
0: another first. Her first chance to see the Pat Tillman statue in person.
6: My favorite part of all of it is is definitely the quote. Is that a letter to you? Yeah, that was something that he wrote um, prior to joining the military.
0: What do you want people to take away from the statue, seeing the Tillman Tunnel, and running in Pat's Run?
6: That continued sort of sense of inspiration that he gives to people and helps them through difficult times in their lives, or when they're faced with a tough decision, or um, you know that was the thing that was most striking to me Early on, after he was killed, and even still, are the stories that we hear from people that reach out to say, tell us about the impact that he's made on their life in such a positive way. I'm more McClune for everything. Yeah, Spain. so it's
2: like, you know, of course, the U.S. military apparatus has a keen interest in perpetuating the myth of Pat Tillman. The best way to do that is through his other profession, right? Aside from being a soldier, which was football. Yeah, it's like, it's such a perfect way to obscure anything about him as a person or any of his, like, personal qualities that they don't like.
1: Because, yeah. yeah. I was going to say cuz sometimes his personal qualities would peep their head would peek their head in and like all of these efforts by the US government would be for naught like in the first uh, part of the reopening of the investigation a general is quoted to say that the family would never be satisfied about like the investigation because they're not agno- because they're agnostic and not having believed in god they don't have the capacity to accept the horrors of war so they're just always going to want to keep this investigation going so even after using Tillman as the post boy his own like atheism basically comes to bite them in the ass in 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 these fucking the disgusting statements i just want to read this quote quickly from the lieutenant in question those that are christians can come to terms with faith And the fact that there is an afterlife, heaven or whatnot, I'm not really sure what they believe or how can they even get their heads around death. So in my personal opinion, sir, I don't think they'll ever be satisfied by our investigation. He was also interviewed by ESPN and straight up said that families affected by um, friendly fire have usually let it go because of their connection to Jesus. And the Tillman family lacked this capacity. So they were going to just keep fucking asking questions.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And it's like one of those things where when you when you go into it like right? Like a lot of people both, and, and I'm going to both sides of it a bit here. A lot of people both left and right, like to, to say Pat Tillman wouldn't have wanted this. Pat Tillman wouldn't have done this, right? Like realistically, he didn't do media interviews. We have a diary. We have his family who does have a right to say that. And we have, that's pretty much it, right? In terms of like yes. creating an assertion of like what Pat Tillman would or would not have wanted. All that said, like his, his, stated, you know, his stated personality was, or his statements about himself largely spoke to his like, you know, belief in like free thinking, secularism, you know, the right to do whatever you want. So it's like, it's, it's bizarre that, you know, Donald Trump can use him for anthem protests, but it's not unexpected because, you know, now we have that, that Pat Tillman statue outside, uh, outside Arizona, whatever college he went to. You know, yeah, I don't know what college you went to, but like outside their their stadium, a- a- ASU. Yeah, ASU, right? The, the where there is
1: a Tillman Foundation running, and there is a scholarship in Tillman's name that the family had started.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Like the family has been put together something for young. I think it's for young athletes. The Tillman Foundation, mm-hmm. uh, yep. well also young athletes who do, uh,
1: young athletes who do community service and show academic excellence to basically parallel. Tillman's work outside of school and just kind of his way of life.
2: Sure, I respect the hell out of that. So it's like, yeah, like, ultimately, what does Pat Tillman become? He's become an empty symbol of of excellence. Like, I find that so troubling.
1: You can see the end of this whole story online, too. Like, there's footage from the oversight committee where, like, the family finally got to testify in front of Congress about this. But that's the extent of what happened. Like the army took action basically against every soldier except for the higher ups that we mentioned. Like McChrystal is part of the Obama administration from that point on. So take that as you will for this. Like, I I, I know I just glossed over it, but that is literally the end of the Tillman Odyssey. And then there is this aftermath and the charity and sort of how he's used as an empty symbol. We're sort of actually like back to square one with Tillman. We haven't really grown as a society to really eulogize him in the proper way other than this podcast which did properly and the book but you get what i'm saying
2: yeah like and on on ebay you know people sell tillman jerseys the tillman memorial pins and stuff like that which is fine you know i mean like i don't uh it's it's okay or whatever kind of weird i find it weird that so like the guy who, who allegedly shot tillman stephen elliott has actually written a book about his huh. experiences in the war, where he doesn't really mention Tillman in any meaningful way, you know, as per <sighs> usual, you know, and they talk about this in the Krakauer book, where Tillman is sort of a a last man slash pervasive, al- Like I think Krakauer describes him as <laughs> what is it? As an, does he describe Tillman as an alpha male, or does he?
1: He describe him as an as potentially the re- like the actual um projection of the Ubermensch.
2: Right. Right. You know what I mean? Like someone who, who both achieves physical and mental excellence and has the capacity to examine the world through, you know, knowledge. He I think he talks about how like US foreign policy has created has created these systems of like uh, alpha males in the Middle East that are sort of just one way, which is like a very bizarre analysis. Like you you might have a more deep explanation he- of it than what I'm doing right now.
1: Well, he basically, again, uses Francis Fukuyama as a jump off point to dunk on that kind of like on the the previous thinking, you know, Um, this is literally from the end of my notes. Crackire writes in his postscript, our society produces all manner of males in proportions roughly comparable to those in Muslim and other societies, compassionate and cruel leaders and followers, brainiacs and fuckwits, heroes and cowards. Uh, this, this isn't from Francis Fukuyama's last man. He's discussing it. Um, selfless exemplars and narcissistic pretenders, patriotic zeal runs strong in the United States and young Americans are no less susceptible to the allure of martial adventure than young males of other cultures, including fanatical tribal cultures decades from now when the President of the United States declares yet another war on some national adversary, a great many men and more than a few women will doubtlessly stream forth to enlist, regardless of whether the war in question in reckless blunder or vital to the survival of the Republic. Parallels of masculinity between, like, the two cultures. He hilariously points to it here. If the United States' involvement in the future wars was inevitable, so too is it inevitable that American soldiers would fall victim to friendly fire in those conflicts. For the simple reason that friendly fire is part of parcel of every war while acknowledging that the statistical dimensions of the friendly fire problem have yet to be identified reliable data are simply not available in most cases sorry that went off actually not related to but yeah like from then on he goes on to describe pat tillman as the ubermensch who like surpasses this last man ideal from past Fuk- fukuyama who again um presents himself as kind of an idiot <laughs>
2: yeah of course and like this is the other thing right like so much of of pat tillman's tributes are wrapped up in his sense of loyalty
1: like to the to
2: to america this is the ultimate quality and it's like best exemplified through sports right like it's one of the reasons that the player empowerment era of like basketball has received such backlash like the james harden trade for example among other things as like these guys ain't loyal, right? These hoes, these hoes certainly ain't loyal.
1: These young enlisted soldiers and loyal, yeah, yeah,
2: right. Like, like this is also what made Pat Tillman such because his loyalty was so clear, right? You're able to yeah. trace that line from his his loyalty to the Cardinals.
1: in his actions, yeah, like exactly. not not in the diary, not even in the interviews that he refused to do, literally in what he did every day of his. Yeah, life.
2: his loyalty to his country, you know, through his enlistment, his loyalty to his team through like sticking with them even through like the. Uh, being offered better things elsewhere like this idea of of pat tillman as like like this like passive figure that will always sort of be in your corner no matter what it fucks me up a lot
3: if he was here right now and find out what happened what do you think he would feel about the
5: way that his he his funerals were treated he would be so angry he would be so hurt and furious at what his family's had to suffer at the hands of the army and the government i mean you know, he would want to come down and wring someone's neck for sure. Yeah,
2: and with that, like we've sort of concluded our episode on the sad saga of Pat Tillman. To me, it's it's ultimately a story of political transformation. It's ultimately a story of like political collapse and like a very clear way of like the way that the military and football um sort of embody you know nominally similar um rhetoric and values and how they're tied in together yeah it sucks uh we'll be back at you next week with more content
1: more more about the fall of the west um we we are we are francis fukuyama haters but we're, we're gonna take that and run with it for the rest of this fucking season um because we're gonna be doing cuba uh soon as well uh and castro's uh time as an athlete but yeah i mean this story is fucking tragic it's unique it's interesting we if you're I mean we've referenced it throughout the episode but if you want to know a lot more and get more details Hour's book Men Win Glory is widely available and it's great um there's also a few Pat Tillman documentaries on YouTube that are fantastic if you want to know more about his career but um definitely do that work if you want to know more about Tillman
2: Yeah and I highly recommend um Eyes Left as well if you're interested in learning about mm-hmm. the tensions between yeah between the military and social justice socialism left wing issues Mm-hmm. take it easy everyone see you next week with uh our first episode on fidel a much more fun episode on fidel castro's uh short sports career
1: <laughs> yep i'm so i'm fucking super excited for that cue all the castro gifts and um, thank you everybody follow off court pod um uh, follow the harbinger media network and follow the mine refinery
2: take it easy y'all bye